Now, particularly over the last couple of months, I've um, talked quite a lot about relationship with God, and I anticipate that's probably going to be my primary topic all the time, because relationship with God is basic to everything else we do as a Christian. However, today I'm going to approach that from a pretty different way than maybe what I would have done or have done in a while. Today, I'm going to talk about numbers. And it isn't just because I used to be an accountant before I had this job. The Bible is filled with numbers. And what some of us may not know is that the numbers in the Bible often mean more than what the face value of the number is. I don't remember how long ago I was introduced to this verse, but it's kind of a cool one. Proverbs 25.2, and you can look it up or you can just write that number down and think about it a little bit more later. Proverbs 25.2 says this, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. So I guess my question for y'all today is this, are you ready to search out the matter of how numbers are used in the Bible and how it can and often does take a spiritual meaning and significance? Now, Hanny often references the book of Genesis in his sermons, and recently he's also referenced Revelation several times. Well, there are lots and lots of numbers recorded in both of those books, and many of those numbers have a spiritual significance that is even perhaps more important than the number itself. Well, because this is new and it might be a little bit different, if you don't get anything else from today, here's what I'd like you to get. Recognizing the meaning of Bible numbers can increase our understanding, and our application of what God wants to tell us. Recognizing the meaning of Bible numbers can increase our understanding and application of what God wants to tell us. Now, the whole subject of numbers in the Bible is very, very big. My goal today is simply this just to give you the introduction to the concept of a numeric principle in the Bible, and to give you a few examples of how you can take that and apply it in your life to make it meaningful. Because obviously we don't want to learn a bunch of mechanical things or a bunch of systems that have no relevance and no way for us to connect with God. Amen? At least I'm not interested in that. I want to know how it's going to affect me when I live my life during the week. Two other items just before we start, because this is perhaps new to many. There are many sources, first of all, that discuss uh, biblical numeric principles. The source I generally reference in this teaching is Interpreting Symbols and Types by Kevin Connor. I like that book. It's easy to understand most of the time, but there's a lot of other good sources too. And I encourage you that if this is an area of interest, or you start noticing numbers in a different way, find some kind of source to help you as you process it. Second, 
numerical principles in the Bible are not the same things as numerology. God is the, origina the originator of everything, right? Satan counterfeits what God originates. I thought that was kind of a cool little sentence. Satan counterfeits whatever God originates. Numerology is Satan's counterfeit, and it tries to control people's lives by having people make choices based on the arrangement of numbers. The numeric principle in the Bible gives more recognition, understanding, and application of what God desires for us to know about him. So it's a supplement to help us understand more of what God's trying to communicate or reminding us of things that God is trying to communicate. I suppose one other thing too, people can and too frequently make mistakes with numbers in the Bible. I started listing some of them that just I've experienced with people and, and I thought, you know, there isn't time for this in this, in this teaching anyway. They can make mistakes. So it's really important to understand and develop a, a working knowledge of what the numeric principle guidelines are. When you're looking at the numbers in the Bible, get counsel from someone. Hey, here's what I'm here thinking. This might apply. Do you think it works for me? Get counsel and listen to Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, is there something you want to tell me? Because this number keeps showing up and I keep seeing this thing. So you don't want to do this on your own. You want to do it in community and with people giving you input in your life. Because we don't want to get off into error. Sound okay? God, I ask today that you take this and it's really quick and it's really quick and it's really, you know, condensed. But God, you would take some piece out of what we're going to talk about and make that real for each person. Holy Spirit, that you would show people, hey, this is another way I can connect with God through the Bible. So thanks, Holy Spirit, for helping. Amen. Now, because of time, again, I'm only going to talk about three, just touch on three of the principles of the of numeric principles of the Bible. And then I'm going to try to give a couple of biblical examples of how those principles can work in helping us understand and connect with God more. First principle is this. The first mention of a number in the Bible generally gives the spiritual meaning. And that's why as Hanny's going through Genesis a lot, when we notice numbers and what those numbers mean in Genesis, it's probably going to mean the same thing in the New Testament as the Old Testament. So understanding what was the first principle, Hanny's referred to that, or the first appearance. Um, same thing is true with numbers. Whatever is true the first time with the numbers, probably going to be the meaning all the way through the Bible. Another principle I'm going to touch on is God is consistent. Generally, the same meaning of a number will be maintained throughout the Bible. So if you find a number that shows up in Genesis, it's likely to have the same meaning in the New Testament when you're reading it. And the last thing that might be helpful just for today is the numbers 1 through 13 are the basic numbers with spiritual significance. Multiples of those numbers generally have the same meaning only it intensifies the symbolism. And we're going to see a, an example of that pretty soon. So those are three of the principles to help us understand all the numbers in the Bible. 
Because once you start noticing them, numbers are everywhere. And they seem to have a pretty prominent place. Well, let's look at a couple of examples. Actually, we're going to look at three different examples. The number three is probably one of the ones that most of us who've been in church a while are aware of. The number three has the meaning or interpretation, just means God's completeness is the most common meaning for three. So when you see three, we're talking about God's complete revelation of himself to us. We just had a baptism. We're going to have some more. Um, we use the, that verse in the number of God's completeness <clears throat> whenever we have a baptism. Matthew 28, 19. You can turn there just to look at it. You're all familiar with it. You've heard it a whole bunch of times. So I'll read it, this one to you. We'll look at a couple others. Matthew 28, 19 says this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And there's the number three. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three different revelations of who God is. Now, the number three isn't specifically named here, but it's obvious that three is a primary component of this verse, and it reveals who God is. He reveals himself to us as a father. He reveals himself to us as a son, and he reveals himself through Holy Spirit. Three can also mean, and does <clears throat> from time to time mean, um, perfect testimony or evaluation or judgment. When we have, even in courts of law, there needs to be multiple witnesses. You don't convict somebody on just one testimony. Proverbs tells us out of the mouths of two or three witnesses is a matter confirmed. In Exodus 3.6, and you might want to turn there, but you've heard the phrase in Exodus 3.6. God is speaking and he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. There's three, the number three again, three different people, three different individuals or revelations of who God is. It's part of God's character. This is how he shows himself to us. And so when we're seeing threes, another thing that's kind of interesting is in Exodus 12, 7, and this is when the Israelites were in e Egypt. It says, then the Israelites are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the top of the door frames of the houses where they eat lambs. Again, three isn't specifically numbered, but there's two posts and one top. The blood is applied in three different places. That's God's commitment to this judgment or deliverance from judgment in this case. So when you encounter a verse or passage with the number three or a list of three items, it likely will have some meaning or connection to emphasize God's identity or his completeness, or it will refer to some kind of godly judgment or evaluation. 
it just reminds us. When I see the threeness of God, it reminds me of God's completeness. Sometimes God the Father can be a little intimidating, and it's more comfortable to connect with Jesus. Just something to think about as we read. I want to spend a little more time on the next one. It's the number 12. The meaning or interpretation of 12 means godly government. 12 shows up a lot in the Bible. The most clear and frequent use of the number 12 in the Old Testament was the 12 sons of Israel who became the 12 tribes of Israel. And that's a reminder, hey, God set this up as a godly government for the nation. Perhaps, perhaps not, but perhaps it's not an accident or coincidence then when it, that when Israel changed from the 12 tribes being their government to one king, the quality of their government went down almost all the time. There were lots of poor kings. Their first one was really bad, and they ran into a bunch more. They had some good ones, but they deviated from what God said. Hey, this is the government I want to give you. He did it in the New Testament. Twelve disciples or twelve apostles. Now, why twelve? Well, that's the number of God's government. It's interesting that after Judas left, one of the first actions that the remaining 11 disciples or apostles did was to appoint another one. Why? Because 12 reminds us God has a government in place, a system in place. 12 is the number of godly government. So, does that mean every kingdom of God ministry or every church government must have 12 members? No, that's not what it means. The numbers are symbolic. 12 is a numerical reminder that government, regardless of the specific numbers, needs to be godly, needs to have God at the center of it. The most frequent use of the number 12 is found in Revelation 21 and 22. Most of us, I think, know that um, Revelation 21 and 22 is going to be where we end up in eternity. And it talks about the way God designed where we're going to end. 12 shows up a lot. You can read through Revelation 21 and 22. And you're going to find 12 gates, 12 angels at the gates, the name of 12 tribes on the gates, 12 foundations of 12 different precious stones, the names of the 12 apostles on the foundations, the length, width, and height were 12,000 stadia. Now that's just a number, except it's 12 again. It's 12 times 10 times 10 times 10. Remember we talked the numbers one through 13, 
if they were used in multiples, just indicated a strength or a, hey, take notice of this. And 12,000 stadia is 12 times 10 times 10 times 10. 10 is the number of government. 12 is the number of godly government. It's going to be big, is basically what that's telling us. The thickness of the wall was 144 cubits. 144 is 12 times 12. The gates were 12 pearls. There were 12 crops of fruit on the tree of life. Now, why does that matter? God is showing us when we get to the end of our lives, when we arrive in heaven in eternity forever, his government is so complete, so total, we'll never have to worry ever again about anything else other than God's total provision and government for every one of us. We were talking before the service and we're sharing about, yep, sometimes things are difficult now, but we're going to a place that's going to be better. How much better? God's government, 12 times 12 times 12. It shows over and over and over again. Now, are these numbers literal? Maybe, but probably not. The numbers indicate how spectacular heaven is going to be, how totally and completely it's going to be run by, overseen, directed, led by God. There's not any place for things like sickness and rebellion and anger and, and broken relationship. It's totally a God thing. And so for me, when I see the number 12 show up, it's like, oh, this is how God wants to do things. When God is involved, it's his heart. Not that there has to be a literal 12. It's just a reminder. Wow, God's got some amazing stuff going on here. This is a part of what he's planning. I know this is quick. I hope something maybe catches for you. I want to spend a little bit more time talking about the number seven. And the reason why is because it's the one that I can most frequently connect with where I live and how I think and how I interact with God. The number seven, the meaning or interpretation of seven includes perfection or completeness. Now, why is this thing about numbers matter? Well, take just a minute. How many times do you think the number seven is used in a Bible as part of a description of something? I ran through this with Mary, and you know, Mary's read the Bible a lot, and she does things like dream interpretation and, and a lot of symbolisms and stuff. And she guessed a pretty high number. She said maybe like 100 times. Are you ready for this? The number seven is used about, depending on your translation, the number seven is used about 600 times in the Bible. That is not a coincidence. It's there because God wants to remind us of different things 
that brings out perfection or completeness. Now, the first mention of the number seven is in Genesis 1 and 2. That's the story of creation. How do we bring things like the number seven into personal application? Well, if you kind of checked out for a minute, because it's like, I don't know where this is going. This doesn't really interest me. Come back for just a second now. Because this will be surprising, I thought. It is for me. It's a principle I put in. In Genesis 2, verses 1 and 2, go ahead and turn there for just a minute. Turn there, sorry. I can see a couple of people still have paper Bibles, so I can say turn. It's still okay. The rest of you click to Genesis 2, 1 and 2. I tend to read the Bible out of my phone when I'm anyplace else, but when I'm home and it's just me reading it, I still like paper. I guess that makes me old. Genesis 2, 1 and 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Verse 3, sorry. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating he had done. So how can we apply the numeric principle to this? How can we bring it to us? Because one of the big challenges we all have is we read the Bible, we see these stories, how do we make it ours? How do we make it relevant? Well, for me, when I was working corporate, God talked to me out of this, and I felt like he gave me a little bit of insight, and maybe it will help you too. Remember, the numeric principle doesn't change the meaning. It's still about God creating in seven days, and on the seventh day, he rested. But by realizing number seven means completeness, we can expand our application of the creation story to our own lives. For example, the seven days of creation included day seven, where God did no creating, but the creation story includes seven. So what did God do as part of the creation on the seventh day? He rested. And not only did God rest, he blessed that day and made it holy. So how does that apply to us? One of the obvious applications is that a complete work week, by God's definition of seven, a part of the work week is rest. A part of the work creation week is rest. There are some really intelligent, capable, smart, insightful people here. And do you understand that God? by saying, I'm including a day of rest in the completeness of creation. Rest is a part of it. It's built into the seven. Rest is a part of the creation process. If you're working on, you know, writing a book, building a business, completing a schedule, God says, Creation includes a day of rest. 
Now, I understand that can be a challenge. Rest is not a part of our culture in the creation process. Most people work seven days. I'm not saying you can't, but we need to remember God in his first place where he talks about seven in the creation process, part of the creation process is rest. Not a rest like the, the, the Jewish leaders made it in the Old Testament where you couldn't do anything. Jesus made that clear. He says, not like that. Not a bunch of rules. The number seven applied to a description of a week is a reminder that a complete week includes a day of rest. Do you put rest into your week? Do you make time when you can think about things, dream together with God, talk with other people about things that don't have anything to do with your work and your job. God seemed to think it was so important that he put in the creation process one-seventh of it as a day of rest. Something to think about. Now let's try to apply that understanding of the number seven and completeness to a New Testament passage with a very different set of sevens. And again, you don't have to agree with this, but I want to suggest again, if the number shows up 600 times in the Bible, we might want to pay attention when the number seven shows up, that there's something about completeness that we maybe want to consider. And then how do we apply that to us? Revelation chapter 2 and 3 is, are the letters to the seven churches. Now, each church was a literal, actual geographic church in what is now Western Turkey. They had some characteristics of things that were good and some things that weren't so good in each of them. Now, remember, the number seven does not only describe those seven historical churches, the number seven uh, applies to the complete church because seven is the number of God's completeness. There were more than seven churches that existed in, in what is now Western Turkey, but the letters went to seven. I would suggest that that means there's a completeness about what's in those seven letters to those seven churches that's applicable to all of us throughout history. The seven letters can be applied to the complete church then and now. Stay with me because we're going to come down to something very personal. The descriptions of those seven churches could be applied to all of the churches in existence at that time in history, not just those seven but when John wrote those letters, it went to them. But like the letters that Paul wrote, they got shifted around and, and sent around and applied to many people. So the lessons in them could be given to more than just one church or one group of seven churches. It could apply to all of the churches that were in existence at the time he wrote to those seven specific. But what if... The churches were not only historical churches of the first century. People are trying 
all the time to apply the book of Revelation to our current times. Are we in the end times? Is this a different time? Is the end now or whatever? But because the number seven means complete, John's letters to the churches then can apply to the churches today. Churches all over the world in 2022 can also take the lessons, the encouragement, that God gave through John to seven specific churches, they can apply to us today. Us to the church in Africa, the church in China, church in North America. Now that's kind of big and we still don't make it personal. But those seven letters to seven churches can apply in 2022 to the church in Toronto. Now, the church in Toronto is made up of thousands of individual churches and networks, but the commendations and corrections that John wrote to those original seven historical churches can now be applicable to all of the thousands of individual churches that make up the complete church in Toronto. So, we can read the letter to the Ephesians church in Ephesus, I'm sorry, the church in Ephesus, and what's taught in there can be applicable to the church in Toronto. And guess what? It can also be applicable to City River as one of the churches of the church in Toronto, which is part of the church in North America, which is part of the church in the world. It's applicable now. Now when we read it, it becomes meaningful for you and me because it talks about our church. There are elements of the church where the letter was written to Smyrna. Well, there's some of that in our own church. There are elements of the letter written to the church at Philadelphia that are in our church. So we can read that and say, how does that apply to us? What does it look like for us? It isn't just a way back there and then thing. Those letters apply to us. Instead of reading two chapters about some churches with strengths and issues 2,000 years ago, those insights and lessons given to those churches can become immediately and personally applicable for us because the seven letters of the seven churches are not only historical, but have universal meaning. Through time, they have meaning. And the seven helps remind us, hey, this isn't just for those guys back then. It's for us too. But let's make it even more personal because maybe there isn't a real connection all the time with City River is a church. When we are the only Christian present, or we're with a friend having a meal or a coffee, or we're with our kids going for a walk, when it's just us, when we're doing the laundry, when we're waiting in line in the grocery store, and it's just us, we are the church. When you go and do the things that you do, you and I are the church. 
if we're the only ones represented there. We can do that. What a concept. You got to go to the grocery store and you can have church because you're there with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I was at the grocery store this week and I was tired. It was cold. It was hard to get around. I was ready to be done with my, my, um, all my things I had to do, my errands. And um, I was ready to go home. But I was thinking about this and I go, okay, God, most of the people here may or may, or may not be Christians. I don't know. But I'm here with Holy Spirit and we're going to have church when I go in. So I'm just kind of walking through and, you know, okay, okay, that person just, you know, felt like their cart had to get in front of mine. That's okay. It's all right, because I'm having church, and I'm going to connect with God. You guys can understand what that means. Like, the people that drive those carts are, they need to have licenses, I think. I was going down a down one of the aisles looking for something Mary had on my list for me to get. And there was a lady who was about the size of Mary in terms of her height. And she's standing there and, and looking up and looking around and, 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 and it's like, Hey, I can do something here. So I went up to her and I said, Hey, do you need something off the top shelf? And she goes, Oh, Thank you so much. Do you know that three people have walked by and didn't offer to help me? I'm just so appreciative of you helping me. I said, I'm glad to help you. I hope somebody helps my wife when she's in here because she's about your size too. And she goes, yeah, it's hard for us little people. I said, that's okay. That means I get to help somebody really nice like you. She said, well, thank you. Being nice to people is having church. So I go, God, I didn't really say anything about you or talk about you very much. And he goes, that's okay. That's what Holy Spirit does. There'll be times when you talk. And I know, and Holy Spirit said, Rob, I know when you need to say something, you will. When I need you to say something, I know you'll do that. But being nice, being kind, that's having church. Do you understand that you and I can read about those seven churches and say, God, from the church at Smyrna, what do you want to say to me right now about church, my place in it, the people I connect with? What do you want to say to me? Because see, when God made the seven, he says, this is my complete church. I want you to know all of this is applicable, not just to seven historical churches, halfway around the globe, <clears throat> this is applicable to the church in Toronto, to the church named City River, to the individuals within the church who are having church as they go about their errands or they're trying to, you know, help their kids, you know, with their homework or whatever. And the number seven, all 600 of them in the Bible, remind us of the completeness of God that there is a place for us to do and participate. The number 12, 
the, the number seven reminds us, hey, as we are creating, as people of work, or you're, maybe you're a homemaker and you're creating dinners and all those kinds of things. You're a brother or a sister and you're creating family because you call your family up. However you're doing church throughout the week, it's a God thing. And so we can read the letters to the seven churches and say, God, what do you want to say to me about your commendation and inputs to the church in Philadelphia or Thyatira or Pergamum? What do you want to say to me? See, then it becomes meaningful and relevant for us. It isn't just a story. It isn't just something that's reserved for the end of time. It's something for us right now. Because God's goal for us is always to connect. And he can connect by reminding us of these things to say, hey, this means something for you too. I know, it's a lot. Some people aren't going to be interested in this at all. But I think there's going to be some that the next time you see the number seven, when you're reading the Bible, you're going to remember, hey, there's something about that. There's a completion of creation. When I'm creative in my work or with my family, or with my children, or my leisure time, God's in this. He's involved in it. You don't have to agree with me on this. You don't have to do anything with it. And that's okay. But remember, 600 times in the Bible, God used the number seven, the number of perfection or completeness. The number seven in the Bible can mean to some, something to each one of us. When we read, hey, God put this in there. It was intentional. What does he want me to understand about his completeness? In, with this subject. The number seven can mean something different maybe for each one of us. What does it mean for you today? I tried to give you a little bit of an overview and a basic introduction to the numeric principles of the Bible. It's just scratching the surface. If you've got questions or you want to ask something about it, please feel free to give me a call or text. We can set up a time and talk. I love to talk about this stuff. We can discuss whatever's on your mind. Doesn't even have to be that subject. I'll, I'll talk with you about most anything. But if you want to know a little bit more about the numbers and how they might apply or how you process them, let me know. I'd be glad to help you with that. Recognizing the meaning of biblical numbers can increase our understanding and application of what God wants to tell us. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's to search out a matter is the glory of kings. See, God doesn't hide things from us to prevent us from finding them. I don't know if your family did this, but when I was little on Easter, they would hide the little eggs. I don't even understand this whole business of 
bunnies and eggs. I don't know how those ever got together like that, but it did. And so part of the Easter thing was you'd get up on Easter morning and they would hide these little eggs. Well, the eggs weren't hidden in a place we'd never find them. When I was three, I always found the eggs. God doesn't hide to prevent us from ever understanding. God conceals the matter because he wants it to be discovered and he wants it to be discovered with him. Jeremiah, God said, call to me and come to me and I will tell you great and mighty things you do not know. It's the glory of kings and we are his kings and queens to search out a matter. I encourage you maybe this week to take a few minutes and think about searching out what some numbers might mean. Maybe start with reading about the seven churches and going, God, what do you want to say to me out of this church? What applies to me? God, I thank you so much because you're leading us into a journey you're leading us on a search of discovery. There's so much in, in, in the Bible that you want for us to discover, and you're willing to do it with us. You want us just not just to discover it, but to apply it, to make it real. God, that the church in Smyrna might come alive to us instead of just a historical reading. God, I ask that you would light a fire, a passion of curiosity, a desire for discovery, and a real willingness to apply what we discover in our lives. Help us come to see in a whole new and different way, a more personal way, that your word has so much more in there, so much more meaning for each one of us and for our church community as a whole to discover. God, we need to know that there's a lot of revelation that remains for us to discover. That you're new every morning and there's not anything that like we've arrived at anything. There's always so much more. Help us to choose again today to know you more. And it's so reassuring to know that we can come to you. And in our hearts, it really is, God, it really is our desire, I believe, of every person here to know just more and more and more and more about how amazing you are. God, if that, light, that passion is kind of dimmed a little bit over time, or it's gotten comfortable, God, make us uncomfortable in such a good way that we just want to know you more, know more things. God, for people that don't know how to have rest as a part of their creative process, I ask this week you would come and meet with us. How we can have rest complement the creative things that we do throughout the week. Father God, you're always the best option. No matter what the question is, you're the best option. No matter what our issue is, no matter what our hurt is, no matter what the possibility we're looking at is, you're always the best option. 
And may we develop a heart that wants to search out like the heart of a king and help us to understand and experience your joy and delight when we come and say, I want to know more. As we discover new things with you, as we learn how to walk or run or in our spiritual lives, do more. Thank you, God, for helping us to learn again and again what it means to be a child of God, to be your kid. Thank you, God.